It's the Last Stand Podcast. And here's your host, Brian Custer. That's right. It is the Last Stand, the unfiltered, straight talk from some of the biggest names in sports. And our guest today, well, he played 12 years in the NBA, two-time All-Star. He is known as a Nick legend. I love him because he is a great brother of Kappa Alpha Psi. He's my brother. <laughs> He's none other than Alan Houston. Bruh, welcome to The Last Stand. Brother, glad to be here, man. Glad to be here. Well, listen, when we, we promoted having you on, I'll ask you the first question people sent to us on social media. What mm-hmm. has Alan Houston been up to these days? Well, it depends on how long you want to consider these days. <laughs> You know, when I when I stopped uh, playing, I kind of officially retired in 2005. Uh, I took a two year stint where I was really doing some ambassador work with the league and the NBA. And then the organization, Donnie Walsh, who was the president at the time, shout out to Donnie, great man, uh, asked me to join. And, you know, he said, you know, I think you have potential in leadership in this in this uh, game and the organization. you know, Jim Dolan, shout out to him, too, because he's always been not just, you know, someone who's on the team, but he's kind of been a mentor. Um, so for me, they've allowed me to just, for, you know, I have seven children, as you know. So for me, it was always like I always wanted to have a balance. Uh, and I think it's important, especially as a professional in anything you do uh, as a man who's a father you know, and a husband and you're taking care of your family, you got to have a balance. So for me, it was always about how can I contribute to the game, to the Knicks, um, and can still make sure I'm taking care of things, you know, around my family and the community. And so leadership has always been something I've wanted to explore. But, you know, when you're in this world, right, of professional sports, especially when you're tied to a team, um, there's so many ways that, so many ways that looks, it's in management, is it scouting, is it coaching, um, and so we, excuse me, we've been able to develop kind of a, a path where I just, I'm able to, to share um, leadership principles with our players, glean from our, our staff, and still just offer wisdom and advice. Um, and we have this new leadership uh, development initiative that we've developed with the Knicks that I'm, that I'm just grateful for, Leon Rose, Scott Perry, West, Worldwide William Wesley, um, and, you know, Tib, Tibbs was uh, an assistant coach when we were, when I was playing, when we went to the finals. So at the end of the day, you know, as a, as a performer, as an athlete, um, and anything, it's really about impact. Like how can you, how are you impacting the success of the situation you're in? And that has to be intentional. It can't just be, man, I played bad last night, or I had a bad day at work, right? It, it's really about how can I look forward and, and think about principles I want to just bring to the table and try to live by them? So I, that's what I get passionate about. You know what I mean? And I remember we were out in Vegas and we were talking about some of these things, um, watching, you know, players who are kind of in transition, you know, and it still comes back to, you don't want to look back and say, man, I wish I would have done this. And, and that's really where, um, so, so the question is, I'm, I'm always exploring these things, these concepts and sharing ideas, learning from players, learning from coaches. And then what I try to do is bring all that 
to, you know, learn from where I can implement this into my home and how can I implement it into the community? Um, so it is kind of like a, 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 a it's an, it's a perpetual way of learning and coaching and leading. Hmm. That's, that's hot. Um, you, you mentioned the Knicks and, and let's, let's be honest, this, this team has really been hovering around 500 for most of the season. Tibbs, as you talked about, was an assistant when uh, you were playing under the Knicks. In your honest assessment, are the Knicks on the comeback? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, I'm always careful with, you know, analyzation or analysis and, and words. But, you know, when, when, I, when I look at comeback, somebody else might look at comeback and say, well, are the Knicks, you know, a constant playoff team or a contender? Um, that's, that remains to be seen over the next few years. But I will say that the standard of operation, the standard of performance, the standard of just how we think and view and the culture is definitely on the comeback, right? And, and that's really where you have to start, right? Everybody has to buy in to this one aspiration, this one goal. Um, you know, when contracts are shorter in this league, it, it, and in most leagues, right, it, it's, it makes it tougher for people to say, I'm all in, I'm bought in, but what you realize, you understand, is that what makes New York new, unique, I've always believed this and said this, there's room for everybody, right? There's room for everybody to shine, to win, you know, not just from a financial standpoint, from just, you know, I've been on teams, like every team that's won in New York, whether they won it or they had winning, right? You had multiple high impact players and personalities and stars and stories. And they were all able to fit together and, and nobody ended up caring about anything but winning. And that's really where I see uh, a, a kind of comeback, if that makes sense. And, and, and do you see the Knicks becoming a destination again, uh, kind of like what Brooklyn has done where Durant and Kyrie have kind of like now all of a sudden lured different stars there uh, do you see the Knicks getting back to those days and doing that here in the next season or two? Everybody wants to play with really good players and you want to be in a really good situation and environment, you know? So the days of saying the city is recruiting you, that's not really the case, right? It's not about just the city. It's about the culture. Uh, it's about who's going to give me a chance to win. And obviously, financially, you want to be able to um, take care of people, right? And and owners always been able, to, always been done that, right? So um, I believe so. I mean, I don't, I can't speak for you know players who are looking from. I'm an ins, I'm having inside view, right? So I'm partial. I I know. Um, that I know when people have played here, when they, they, they leave, they say, man, they always say, man, I miss it, you know? And they say, man, you guys really take care of, of people, but you got to see that for yourself, right? It's like marriage, right? Being a father, like you see it for yourself when you're in it, right? And you, you appreciate it when you're in it. So I, that's what I can say. Mm. Uh, let's talk about you um, because you know, in your your career, you were considered um, 
you know, one of those, those type of guys that had the prettiest jump shot ever. At, at what age were you where you knew uh, you had a gift uh, and knew that you could really shoot it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, when I was in younger, you know, I was really thin. Um, I knew that I had good mechanics. My father, I, he didn't really have to go out and say, hey, put your elbow in, do this and this and that. For me, some of it came natural, but I had to learn, what helped me is I had to learn to kind of create my own shot. Like I wasn't a guy who just sat there and said, hey, so I had to learn how to get my shot off to dribble, move around, because I was, I was skinny, so I had to get space. So what that helped me do, and then I was, um, uh, I was skinny, so I didn't get to shoot the ball up over my head until probably my freshman year in high school. So when you hear guys like Steph and Clay and a lot of these guys, Trey Young, who, you know, shoot the ball, Damian Lillard, when they shoot the ball from, you know, like a certain position, it helps your mechanics. So that's just to say, I didn't really see myself as an elite shooter. Um, I don't know, maybe my sophomore year in high school, I started to realize that I felt very confident. Like when the ball left my hand, I felt confident, but I worked at it. Like I was always in camps, you know, I was always in camps all summer. Um, probably, you know, it was, it was probably when I got to college when I was like, okay, when you see yourself at another level and you're able to kind of do that on the next level, in my freshman year, I averaged 20 points and I averaged 20 points all four years. I started to see where my strength and advantage was. And now it was a matter of how can I build, my, build everything around that to an, an, enhance and amplify what I can do with shooting. Mm. Uh, and it's not easy, you know, kids, uh, even when they're younger, playing uh, for their fathers, uh, fathers training them, this and that. But, you know, you did it. I mean, you go yeah. to the University of Tennessee, you play for your father, Wade. Uh, what, yeah. what, what was those days like for you? Well, first of all, like my dad was assistant coach. First of all, he was a, so he was the first at the class of the first African-American uh, scholarship basketball players at the University of Louisville in 1962. There were three three players, and he was one of those three. Then he became the first black assistant coach at the University of Louisville. Uh, went to four, four Final Fours as an assistant coach. They won two national championships at Louisville. Then he gets a job at Tennessee my senior year. So all through my life, I planned on playing for him at Louisville. Then he gets a job at Tennessee, and then I was like, whoa, and I already signed with Louisville. So for me, my first thought was, like, I'm going into a new situation. He was the first black coach in SEC history in 89. So I'm going in with this mindset of, okay, even though I was kind of a highly recruited, highly touted uh, basketball player in Louisville, I'm coming to a new situation, new conference and all this is new. My biggest responsibility was not for me. It was like, I got, we got to make this, I have to make this look good, make this work for our family. Right. So I just had an extra motivation for that because I knew he was the first black coach. He was going to be looked at in a certain way. We were going to be looked at in a certain way. Um, so I had a lot of motivation and fuel 
um, our personalities made it work, right? He, he, that's one thing I would say about people coaching their kids, right? Um, it's not easy. I think it made it easier when we were in college than it would have been when I was younger, because now he, you know, you realize it's not just me and him. Like there's a lot of other stuff that that's going on around here. And so, you know, I had teammates that I had to kind of set an example for, and I'm 20 years old, so I'm going to be doing dumb stuff on campus. So, so I'm like balancing all this stuff out. Um, and so I think it was really this idea that there's a much bigger picture. And there's a name that we that we're carrying uh, that it was established at early in, in our relationship. Like we had a very, you know, close relationship, um, and so it carried forward. So that 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 started everything. I think he had, I had a mutual respect because I'm seeing him coach players that played in the NBA, and they were telling me, man, you got to like make this work for you, for your family, for your dad. So I knew that, but hearing it reinforced by other players and pros that mentored me that he coached, like it was a lot of dynamics that just gave us the fuel. It was really the values. It was the values that we learned early that really were the centerpiece of it. Faith, like we talked about my, the thing that we're doing now, faith, yeah. integrity, sacrifice, leadership and legacy like we live by those five values and we talked about them a lot <clears throat> so that's really what held it all together mm. and it sounds like that was a lot of pressure man i would think that was a lot of pressure <laughs> yeah. for a young man to know that hey look this is my father's first opportunity i you know i gotta go but i if, I, if i'm going i gotta yeah. make this work because i gotta make him look good too well the thing that that helped that <clears throat> be was that you know, he never, I don't remember him talking a lot about like, all right, now, you know, when you get to league, this, when you get to the NBA, this, right? Everything that he talked that came out of his mouth. Now we knew, I knew after my sophomore year that that could be a reality, but it really wasn't even until then that we, that I really like focused and locked in on it. Everything we talked about was about character and education, right? You know, I had, he sat me out, he sat me out of practice one time for about a few, for a couple of weeks almost because I was struggling in a class. He sat me out of the first 30 minutes of practice. And like, those were the type of things that set the tone. Like, man, this ain't about playing the NBA. I've seen that. I've been there. I put them there. What's going, what's, you're my son. What you're going to be about is education and character. Now, so for me, I knew I had a talent level. I knew where I, I played against the top guys. I played against pros and in the summers. And like we played on that dream team. We played in that college select team. Against, so I knew that I had a, the talent to do it. It was really, really now about what's the foundations that's going to allow you to sustain it if and when you get there. And that's what he focused on, right? And I think that's really where, as a father now, um, at talking to coaches all over the country, talking to young athletes, like that's really what I focus on. And a lot of coaches say they want to focus on that, but they don't. They they don't in the in, with the intensity and the intentionality that they need to. Mm. It's interesting. Um, what do you think, Alan? What do you think about uh, the style of play in the NBA today? 
it's it's like <laughs> it's fun to watch when it's working well uh but it's immature in nature right um it's fun to watch because you see the ball moving you see it clicking and bam guess what he's wide open shoot it why are we wasting time you know doing all this stuff when we were playing you sought out the mismatch you came down okay he's going to him throw the ball to him and let's work off of that right that's you still have to do that, especially now in the playoffs, because it is about it's about matchups. That's why the best, you know, players in a playoff series are going to basically win, <laughs> right? But how you get to that is 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 the the game within the game, right? Now the game is about pace. It's about shooting threes if you can. That's the part I don't <clears throat> I don't like as much. Because while a, a, um, <clears throat> a statistic, a statistic may say, if you're shooting 35% from the two, and you're shooting 36% from the three, why not just back up and shoot a three? Because the value of that shot is more. I'm like, to think that way, you're missing out on the nuances and the psychology of the game, right? I just saw in his eyes that he didn't want me to go right there and shoot, right? There's a psychology to scoring and, and to manipulating a game in your opponent. And so we, we missed that, I think, right? And, and we don't teach it. Um, and then we expect people to know how to do it. <laughs> That's that's interesting, man. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's interesting that you say that because your game, I mean, would fit perfectly, uh, it seems like, with this type of NBA. At, at any time, do you ever say to yourself, and don't get me wrong, listen, you made a lot of money and you had yeah. a great career. Do you ever say, man, if I played in today's NBA, my game, all of the accolades, uh, well, it would have been even greater if I played yeah, in today's NBA? I, yeah, I, the reason I don't say that, B, is because when I came out of Detroit, I signed an eight-year deal, right? It was the first of those long, and then I signed a max deal. So, yeah, I mean, for the for the time I was in, I was just like, I was blessed. But today's game, the reason I kind of go back and forth with that is because I've seen and I know that there are a lot of guards who play my position similar to the way I play, and they're like, man, I'm not really getting to do what I know I can do. I, I run to a corner, I come off of a, a dribble handoff and I have to throw the ball and wait to shoot a three. Like, it's not my game. Mm -hmm. And I think I would have been the same way in that, like, my game was, I want to punish you in the mid-range and <clears throat> get to certain spots. That gave me a rhythm. Like, I, yeah, I could come off a shooting a three. I could come off a pin down and shoot a three, come up and dribble up and transition, shoot a three. Um, we weren't shooting the ball from four feet behind the three, <laughs> but I probably would have tried that if I was in today's game, but it was really about, you know, to me, I, my, my, I have a philosophy about scoring. Like if you can score anywhere on the court within two to three seconds and is in limited dribbles, then you can be guarded in today's game. You're, 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 you're told to stay away from certain areas of the floor to score. Mm 
And <clears throat> that's that's the only thing that I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know how I can answer that question because I may not have known that if I was in today's game. Mm. Um, 1993, man, you were the 11th overall pick uh, in that draft by the Detroit Pistons. And that was really towards the very end of that bad boys era, all of that type of stuff. Uh, what were those early years in Detroit like for you? Yeah. Well, so you're right. I'm coming in. Lindsey Hunter, shout out to Lindsey Hunter, Mississippi Valley State head coach, HBCU. Uh, he, we were we were really good friends before the draft. Like we became close, like right before the draft. Got drafted 10th and 11th. And they told us like, hey guys, we really want to groom you behind Joe, Joe and Isaiah. So we were like, yo, like this is, I, I, I'm excited. We spent our rookie year, we spent the whole summer like training with Joe and Isaiah, um, barely went home. And it was one of the most valuable things that, I, that I've ever done because it set a tone for like me seeing how these Hall of Famers do it. They're all close to retirement, but they're still in there every day doing it differently than they would have done it, you know, when they were 22, but they're still doing it. They're, like it's a craft. It's a professional thing that you just do. Um, and it was tough because you could see that they were used to certain ways that weren't there anymore. So you could see a little bit of frustration with them. Um, and, but I, but you also get to see like, this is probably not how this is supposed to be in terms of just, we won 20 games my rookie year. Mm. Right. And then my third year, we, we make the playoffs. Right. So you figure out <clears throat> like where you are. Um, you learn, you ask questions, you watch, you stay patient, um, keep believing in yourself and just keep chopping the wood. And uh, Joe was a great mentor. And Grant Hill came in, you know, my, my second year. I mean, Grant was like something nobody ever seen before, <laughs> you know, six, eight, doing stuff like played any position. Uh, and so we're like, oh, okay. So that really, when he came, it kind of really lifted us, our, our spirits and our hopes to what we could do. Now we had Lindsey Hunter, we had Theo Ratliff, you know, we had a nice, and Joe was still there. So it was an interesting time. And then, <laughs> so my third year comes and, um, I was a free agent and didn't expect, uh, I did not expect what happened to happen. <laughs> um, I was expecting to stay in Detroit. Um, I met my wife there. It would become home. Um, but free agency, you know, reveals a lot, you know? And, um, so in New York opened that door up. And that that checkbook book up. Right. That Brinks truck rolled in. So it, it 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 I went from man, I'm just trying to establish myself in this league to wait a minute, I have a chance to actually win in New York. Like that was a the money was obviously a factor, but I think a lot of some, some things that drove me too was people were like, well, like, he ain't gonna do that. He wouldn't do that. Like, he wouldn't take that challenge. And I'm like, that actually fueled me a little bit too. 
Um, because I always, that's one thing about me is like, you, you don't ever back down from a challenge. You know, you just put the work in and, and you see what happens. Like God has the rest, you know? And um, so that was my mentality. Mm. And, and what was your, since we're talking the early days of the NBA, what was your welcome to the NBA moment? Um, what really wasn't like, you know, hey man, when Sean Kemp dunked on me, it was, it was really more like, we had like two guards, like to, I feel like the era of the two guard was golden. And, and when I, when, you know, maybe before I came in, cause you know, you had guys like Ricky Pierce, Doug West, Mitch Richmond, Reggie Miller, like every game there was like a killer at that position, you know, like with the mouth watering, cause that was just that era, you know? So it was really like going against those guys my rookie year. Like I'm coming out of Tennessee playing four years. So I felt my body was, you know, was, was right for college. You know, I was, you know, shooting over people I could handle, you know, I was a big guard, you know, that had some, athleticism <laughs> you come into the league and it's like wait a minute this dude is like <laughs> my height jumps higher grown man strength you know like whoa you know so it was really a series of those encounters you know when you're like man okay this is different this is like and i played four years you know what i mean so so that's where you got to really understand that, well, you know, especially when you're coming in younger, you know, these guys are coming in younger, like you gotta, you know, you gotta be careful about not expecting so much so soon. You know, it was seven years in before, like my first year in New York, I was in my, um, I was seven, six and seven years removed from high school. Wow. You know what I mean? And and I think that that's really where, uh, I know I drifted a little bit, but it was really like those moments that really woke, that just showed you where you are. And you mentioned this, but I think people really forget how athletic, and especially when he first came in, how electrifying Grant Hill was. I think everyone just thinks, oh, man, yeah, that's the guy who had the knee injury, the ankle, and... Yeah, man. Grant I mean, Hill dunking on dunking dunk on, dunk on anybody dunk on dunk on Zoe like it was it was really um you know that you knew that you were seeing something like like Grant had this this or you know really smart guy came from great family so he had you know that piece and so a lot of people were like man like is he really that like is he that guy like you watch him play few times you'd be like okay he's he's he is he's that guy you know um and the only thing early on that that he had to figure out was you know his his um range on his shooting right but he figured that out because he gets you backing up and you know so and you think about like even after the injuries, how he was still able to, to have an impact, even when he was in Phoenix, right? And later on, and it's like, so yeah, man, like he's one of those stories. He's, he still inspires me because, um, 
not just because of the type of guy he is and a friend, but just just the way he went about everything. You know, people, you know, uh, when I, I like to talk to our guys about this. And Derek Rose is another example when I would talk to him about like the respect that he gets just because of the adversity that he's overcome. You know, you're gonna, it's gonna happen. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Something, mm-hmm. something's gonna happen in your career where it kind of like punches you in the gut. And you gotta like take that, you know, knee, get back up <clears throat> and say, all right, now I know a little bit more about myself. And it's not about kind of what happens, it's about how I handle it. Good point. Um, and you talked about how when your rookie deal was over, basically with Detroit, you 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 decide to sign with the Knicks. Obviously, uh, the money was great, but mm. was there any other team out there that you were contemplating? Like, you know, maybe I maybe I'll I'll sign with these guys as opposed to New York or Detroit. Well, Indiana was uh, also in the picture, but I wasn't really thinking of going to Indiana. My thing was like, I, I, I really was planning on staying. I mean, and what I thought would happen was so Reggie Miller and Steve Smith were also free agents. So everybody thought that Reggie was going to come to New York. Um, Steve might've been in the picture, but everybody thought that, and I was figuring, okay, well, if Reggie goes to New York, uh, then maybe I could use that for leverage and tell, tell the Pistons I might go to Indiana <laughs> and try to just, you know, get a little bit more out of this. But when New York kind of made me understand and I felt it was authentic that, no, you're young. We see you having a longer upside. We see you as kind of helping us remain in this hunt to win a championship and we need scoring we like your side like all these things made sense and i believe that i was uh a piece uh to this to this um aspiration to to win and when i felt like and i think that's really what happens i think in a lot of times in free agency you like it's like picking a college. Like, you, you, do you really fit? Like, do you really see a fit? And like, do you see yourself just really working out? And I honestly saw, like, I knew in Detroit what what it was gonna be like if I stayed. Okay, I know that, but this is like, wow! Like, I could see it. It wasn't like, okay, well, they just kind of want me here. Like, it was clear that no, we. We like Reggie, like and all this, but I'm sure they would have like if I'm sure that if, if something would have happened different, they would have signed, you know, Reggie and those guys in a heartbeat. But like I just felt like it was it was real that I was a a, a young uh person at this position that they felt like how oh, we really want this this to work. Well, listen, you so you come to New York and obviously, I mean, this team uh was was a really good team. Uh, you end up taking uh, John Stark's place uh, in the starting lineup. Uh, and then basically a year after that, uh, they make that trade uh, and and go get Latrell Sprewell. 
and that and that was somewhat controversial considering he was coming off the the PJ Carlissimo the choking incident and was labeled like the bad boy of the NFL you know voted one of the most hated people in the NFL but yet uh, NBA I should say mm-hmm. but yet you guys got along so well and it seemed like your games complemented each other why mm-hmm. well that's a great point we we played against each other in, in college you know we had some battles and so we 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 had a a, a high mutual respect for each other. You know, we played against each other and battled against each other when he was in Golden State. Um, and I think that, you know, once you have a person like that on your team where you you have as much respect for them as they may have for you, it starts there. And you say, okay, this is not about a battle here. This is about, and that's what I meant when I said, like, when you in New York, that's a perfect example. We had Marcus Campbell was a number one pick. We had Spree. I mean, we had Patrick. We had LJ. Like, you think about if you ha- if you really want to win, you got to have talent, right? And not just one, you know. So there's there was room, and so what we came to understand is we're going to have to, we're going to make this thing work because it's very rare that, that they're going to have someone that can guard both of us. They might have a guy that can, you know, kind of neutralize, like good. That's going to, that's not, you're not going to be able to guard both of us. So once we kind of understood and just played off of that and figured it out, it was, it was kind of an adjustment. Um, but I think we just had a respect for each other because we both were competitors. Like we would be in practice you know, kind of going at it like we were like brothers, you know, and people were like, wait a minute, should we, should we stop this? Or <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, that's what f- fueled us. Like we knew that if we were going to do that in the practice, then the game, it, you know, it, it, it's, it was just fun, man. It was just fun playing with somebody, you know, like that, who you just knew was going, so it was just a dog, you know, and the one thing that Ernie, you know, the GM told me and told us is like, you know, you know, you look up in the Raptors, there's two guys that that played together that people didn't think they would be able to play together. Yeah. Well, and they had the pearl. Yeah. And so for us, it really there wasn't like any pushback or anything. It was just like, now we're just gonna figure it out because this is New York. Like it's gonna be on us <laughs> to make this work not just on the two of us, but just all of us, you know? And I think Jeff Jeff, and the staff did a, a really good job um, just keeping our mentality at a high level. A mm. uh, couple of years later, 99, I mean, you guys get to the playoffs. I think you're the eighth seed. Um, and in the opening round, you take on Miami Heat, your rival, game five, you hit that running shot with like 0.8 seconds left. And all I remember is Alan Houston mm-hmm. going like that uh, mm-hmm. after that shot. Talk to me about what you remember about that shot. Uh, and in your opinion, biggest shot of your NBA career? Probably so. Probably so. Um, well, we had been in, with, in battles with Miami from, from the moment I got to New York. So, you know, that was kind of like, you know, one year is one, is, is, let alone three. That was like the third of year, season of those battles. So it's like, here we go again, you know. Um, 
And you just learn in those playoff games and those moments that you just have to make sure that you minimize mistakes, uh, put yourself in the best possible position uh, to be ready. And we had guys like Chris Childs, Charlie Ward, who didn't get a lot of shots and touches, but they made big shots. And so we were all like, when you, when you have that type of run, everybody at some point is going to make a play to help you win, you know, and, and, and so, um, yeah, it was just, you know, we execute. I, I, when people talk about that, I, I really don't think about the magnitude of the moment. I just think about, I always talk about execution. You know, you, 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 you want to get a clean look in those moments. You want to get a, you want to try to get a clean look. And that's really the first thing you think about. Um, and so, yeah, we had we ran a play. I saw early that they knew the play. So, you know, shout out to Charlie Ward for making that, that little pocket pass mm -hmm. and underrated part of that play. Um, and then I didn't really have any other choice. You know, you had Zoe sitting back there. You know, you had Dan Marley, who's like right behind me. <laughs> and um, I hadn't really practiced that shot much, but <clears throat> you just, your instincts take over. Um, got a good bounce, good, good bounce, you know, and um, stories, stories written. And you guys had so many battles. I mean, you, like, you, what, what comes to mind when you, you remember like Van Gundy hanging on Delonzo Mourning and, and LJ? I mean, like, what, what comes to mind when you think about some of those battles y'all had? And, and, and what did y'all even say when y'all went back to the huddle after something like that? We knew. We knew what we were getting, like, we knew what that was kind of expected. Like, you, you know, at any point something could happen. I, I think it was really more of a mental battle than anything because it's like almost wrestling, right? You know, you know, it's a physical grind, but like one little angle, one little tweak here could be the difference, right? And gaining the advantage. And then it comes down to making shots. Like the one year Tim game seven had 38 on us. Tim Hardaway just went off. Like, <laughs> that's what happens. You know what I mean? Um, and so uh, it, it really does come down a lot to making shots. You know, Anthony Carter hit some big shots, you know, and, and it's like, you know, it's going to come from somewhere. And I think that's why you have to just prepare, you know, beyond belief right and I think both of those teams were known for that for the preparation and because it does come down to making plays making stops making shots um, and, you know that's you know actually there was one play at the end of the game where I think Tim Hardaway was coming off a pin down and Spree just happened to get his hand on and I think that was a key play to that game as well mm -hmm. right where just like little things like that you know, get to keep, keep you in position. Um, you know, obviously that, that basically that same year, you guys get to the finals, uh, you take on San Antonio Spurs, uh, but man, Patrick Ewan's hurt. Larry Johnson gets hurt. Uh, in your honest assessment, do you believe if the Knicks were at full strength, do you win that NBA final? 
think we I think we have a real really shot. Like I don't know, I don't ever say yeah, we definitely would have won this and that, but it, it was tough, you know, when those big guys, you know, um Tim Tim was even though he's a rookie, I mean, he was so mature. You know, um you know, I do think that I felt like from a talent perspective, I think we had a little bit more just straight talent, but that that size was overwhelming, you know, during that series. Um, so yeah, I do think that if LJ would have been, you know, healthier, you know, and then with Patrick would have been there, like it, it definitely would have neutralized a lot. Uh, but one of our strengths was getting out and running. So the reason we kind of were able to make that run is we we were able to get easier baskets and get out and run. And so it's kind of like, you know, um, hindsight, you know, you just hard to say, but um, either way, like the size was was a huge factor in that series. Mm. Uh, you know, those Knicks teams that you guys had, calling card was certainly built on defense. Could those teams be successful, you think, in today's NBA? Yeah. You make, you figure out how to make the adjustment. Yeah, you figure it out. Um, I mean, you know, you got to think, Oak could shoot the ball. Uh, LJ could shoot the ball. So it's not like those guys couldn't shoot. You know, it was just the style, you know. Um, and I think, you know, you would figure out, you know, how to play and make it work in today's game. It didn't, you, you have to have talent, you have to have skill, you have to have um, toughness, you have to have a capacity to defend to win. You gotta defend, you know? I mean, you know, you can talk about pace all you want. I think even the Warriors that year, they were, they were in the top three in defense, you know? Um, so you, 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 I think if you look at the skill set and the mentality, I, I absolutely think we could have played. So many characters, yourself, Spree, uh, Patrick, Oakley. Uh, I mean, you can go on and on about the guys that have been any practices where you even had to shake your head and say, man, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to survive or we, I, I think some of these cats, may have to go to jail the way we fight them yeah. here in these practices. <laughs> no, it, it, it was, it never really got <clears throat> to that point. I think it was, um, cause we knew it's like, it's like a, you know, family member, right? You know that you might have some, a crazy brother, cousin, whatever, but you know, it's not going to go so far because it's his family. You know what I mean? Um, and so for us, it was practices were very intense. They were, um, uh, competitive, but it never really got, you know, never really got out of control like that. Cause we just knew it was like a, I keep thinking wrestling or boxing. I mean, you know, when you're sparring, you just, you like, you, you go take some hits and licks, but it doesn't really get into a real fight. Cause this is just what we're doing. You know, and I think that it got, it always would get physical because that's just the way we play. You know, John, John, man, made me so much better. You know, having to have a having to compete against him from day one in practice, because um, he he played that way, the same way he was guarding Michael Jordan, Joe Dumars, and that's the way he knew that he knew from day one that it wasn't about who's going to start. 
that's why we got so much respect for him. You know, he was the first one that came in and said, man, you're going to be a great Nick. Like, I didn't know what to expect. You know, people kept saying, now oh, Nick's need a two-guard. I'm like, John Starks was an all-star in 94, right? And, but, but he, it just says so much about him. Like, he was like, man, he would be the one to tell me, like, dude, you want to be that level, you got to do blah, 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 you know, and, and in practice. So, like, having people like that, you just don't see that. You just do not have, you know, built like him, like, a lot anymore. Mm. Wow. Uh, 2001, you know, as you talk about, you man, you signed this, like, six-year, $100 million contract extension. You were the highest paid Nick in franchise history at the time. And, and, and it's, it was, to me, it was amazing how quickly afterwards you received so much flack uh for for the deal i mean even people we used to say uh this is the poster child of bad contracts or bad mac how did all of that affect you probably more than i let on you know what i mean um you know you always say as a person like don't let outside stuff determine it never it never affected who i am or was but i think what 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 really bothers you know you the most is that um, the same person, the same spirit, the same mentality that I had to get to that point, that never changed. Like, I, it's not like I just said, okay, now I got this money. Now I'm just going to sit out. Like I missed, I think I missed 10 games in seven seasons at one stretch. Right. And so for me, what, what bothered me the most is like, there were days when I know, I know beyond a shadow of my doubt that 80% of the people in this league wouldn't have practiced. I know it. I didn't miss practices, right? Because it was my responsibility at that time to practice because of the contract. Like it wasn't about, I felt like I, that was my way of saying, I wasn't, I wasn't like a top five player in this league, but what I had to do for the organization is to do those things, right? Because they trusted me with that that I had to be responsible with it. So from the outside, I think what, what hurts is, you know, and I get it, right? Because you're saying, man, like, okay, what can we expect? It's like, if you pay for something, what can I expect? And people really looked at it. Like I had to look, I had to view from, look at it this way later on. People look like they were paying. They were the ones paying. And I'm in my mind, man, you're not paying. Jim Dolan's paying, right. you know what I mean? <clears throat> so I get the perspective was, was how it was skewed. But again, I think what, what hurts the most is like, I never wanted to, as a, as a front office person, never to look at a person and view them as a, as a contract. So now you start being viewed not as a player, but as a contract, you know, and, um, but it was eye-opening, it was, it was great learning. Um, and what I drew back on is like, when my dad left the University of Tennessee um, and he had to resign, I look back at, you know what? How many people to this day say, man, I so respected your father for the way he handled himself, the class, the dignity with which he handled a lot of it. And that's what I thought about. Like, I'm not gonna change anything about who I am and 
you know, that's to me, that's the way you got to show strength is be the same person, still be able to go out, serve. Um, and I, I just believe that's why I was been blessed to still be here, you know, um, is eventually those same people are like, man, like, man, what's your, like, no, you weren't saying that when, when I was making this kind of money. Right. So I, I understand that it's, 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 it's not, it's the weakness in the, that person who doesn't have it, the kind of maturity in themselves say, this isn't like, it's not about like contract. It's about this dude is like, we was he expected to say, no, I don't want it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so, um, so yeah, no, I think it was, it was definitely eye opening. and I'm not, I'd be lying if I said it didn't, it didn't, it didn't twist in you a certain way. Um, because, you know, there were times when I couldn't even walk up the steps, you know, you know, my knees kind of started to go and, and it was just like, so, so those were, those were times where you look and you say, you know, I'm, I'm it grew you, it grows you, you know, as a person. Well, and, and I think the sad thing was, cause I think it was maybe a couple of years into the deal. Like you talked about, you, you, you injure your knees and. Uh, the knee, the knee problems. And then all of a sudden, like the NBA comes up, uh, what was it? The amnesty rule where, you know, they, you could buy out a player, uh, wave them. And, and it, it seemed as if the, 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 the lingo, they were calling it the Allen Houston rule. Mm -hmm. And, and did, at, at that time, did, were you like, okay, enough's enough. I mean, why me? Yeah. I mean, there are times when I still to this day think I'm going to change the right name of the name of that rule. Because to me, it uh, so what it represents is like you don't have to put a name to that, you know what I mean? Just make it a rule. <laughs> uh, but but I get it, right? Um, yeah, I mean it's all part of the story, man. It's all part of the uh, the journey. It's part of why I can share experiences with people, and they can receive it or not. Um, you know, it's why you would listen to some person and not another, another one, because is it credible? Is it valid? Is it truthful? So I look at it as, you know, when you go through times like this, it gives you an opportunity to when people, when somebody else is going through something, it's like, you know, I've been there, you know? Um, so you learn from it grow from it. Mm. Uh, greatest professional <clears throat> accomplishment. Professional accomplishment. Uh, it's hard to categorize it in professional because I always think about like the fact that my wife and I are, you know, going on 25 this year. We got seven children. And um, so even though that might be professional, I just want to like clarify that's probably I, I I say, basketball you know, wise. How about this from the basketball, basketball wise? Um, uh, I want to say. You know, winning a gold medal, but um, and you know, it's a, it's a very lowercase small but, right? But <laughs> okay, but I I think just being able to play in the NBA Finals in Madison Square Garden is like, man, you know, it's obviously we would it would have been I don't even know what what I would have been where you know, where I'd be right now if <laughs> I won it, but but. 
don't know, man. Just it's like that experience is like I don't know. I can't know if I don't know if I can think of anything higher than actually winning it. Playing in the NBA uh, finals in Madison Square Garden. Uh biggest NBA regret. Um I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't know if I I don't know if I really have any regrets in terms of um, you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, could I have studied more film, you know, maybe, you know, I probably could have looked back and say, maybe I should have, I could have, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer for that. Mm. Um, you know, you know, some of, some of your uh, teammates, because you, you, you work with the Nick has certainly had some, you know, public run-ins from, you know, mm -hmm. Oakley <clears throat> tussling with security guards a year later, Spike Lee, uh, on what entrance I should come in. And then uh, in March, your former teammate, Patrick Ewing, says he's going to this, uh, walking onto the court of the uh, semifinals uh, of the Big East tournament. And he says the security was hounding him for his credential. Uh, you ever wonder why it seems like sometimes the garden is like their own worst enemy? I don't see it as the garden is his own worst enemy. I, I definitely see that people have to, have to understand that, um, you know, the garden is is a, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. It is it is a place where it's a lightning rod, right? And people love when things are going well in Madison Square Garden, but when things aren't, they love to uh, take notice of when they're not, right? And when they're not, you're going to see that that uh, that lightning rod you know, point to those things as well. So um, I, I can say that as being part of the, the Garden family and, you know, people who are part of the Garden family, I, I think that I don't think there's any better place to watch a basketball game, to play in a basketball game, um, no better experience. If you go around these arenas and watch, I don't think it's close, you know, um, and I tried, and I really try to see an objective view just so I can learn. So I'm appreciative of that. Um, but I've been, a, I've been a player when things are going well, there's, you, you, you have, cause it's so competitive, right? There's the people competing for stories and New York is, I found New York is like the place that people really say they don't really want to be a part of, but they really would say, anybody would love to be a part of of that right and um it just comes comes with it yeah good answer um you know listen you know besides your nick requirements it seems like your passion uh has been your foundation uh and if you look at it the acronym it looks like fizzle um but um faith integrity sacrifice leadership legacy Tell us all about it. Tell us the mission. Well, the mission is just that. If you look at those five principles and values, and I think we're especially now in a world where our, we have a generation of, of young people who I think are the most important generation in our history. When you think about when I was 15 to 25 in that area, in that age realm, I was you're discovering who you are. You're discovering where you where your place is in the world and life decisions, your identity, um, and it was in that stage where 
I, I drew back on my relationship with my father and other mentors and people who really guided me, even though I was headed for being a professional. But it's really the framework from which I needed to see myself. So like fizzle is that it's it's a way of thinking. It's a philosophy. It's a way that people can kind of really frame their life and say, OK, this is where I want to go and where I want to be. And it's a platform that we've kind of built so that this generation can kind of be mentored, supported, connected, and live by values, like be led by some spiritual principles that can really um, keep them motivated, give them access, um, hear their stories, but also equip them, you know, for, for, for the life that they really want to leave. So um, it, it's really been kind of confirmed during this last, you know, year and a half, because we're seeing how important mental health is, emotional wellness, um, disconnection, um, and, and, and spiritual health as well. So we just really take these five principles and say, if you want to be something, first of all, how are you defining success? But there has to be a plan, a strategy, a platform, a framework for how you're you know, living and acting. And you have to have someone uh, who's there to support you during that process. So my father and I started doing these retreats and using these five principles as kind of a language and, and, a, and a lens through which to see your relationship. Uh, if you're mentoring someone or, or helping someone as a young person, um, it's really my strategy for life. And um, that's kind of how we view it. So we have not only this, this platform where you know we're hearing their stories, having them trained, a digital platform. Um, and but we also have in, a, in apparel, a merchandising arm, we have an MBA license. Um, we have other licenses. But, but the way I see it is like, it's like an internal uh, strength and in, in, in discovery. Um, and the apparel becomes like your outer expression, right? So when you think about a uniform, right? That uniform is, is expressing who I am, right? Or even though you wear something like what you're wearing right now, we are that, like we're noobs. <laughs> and I have a next, you know, so it's like, we, we also wanted the apparel because we know that in this world today, especially young people, branding, um, everybody has a brand, everybody has a voice. So we're saying, how are you going to use that to make an impact, right? So these values are like, don't just, use your voice, um, don't just do things and aspire to do things, aspire to do it where you can make an impact. And that's really what the platform is about. And, and for those who want to get involved, <clears throat> want to support, tell us what, it, what do they have to do? So Fizzle again is F-I-S-L-L, -L, Fizzle, Faith, Integrity, Sacrifice, Leadership, Legacy. So you can go to the website. We also have a Team Fizzle app uh, on the app stores, Team Fizzle. And that's where a lot of people are coming in, uh, joining the community, seeing, hearing stories, sharing resources. Um, but between the fizzle.com and the Team Fizzle app, um, you, you'll be well equipped and informed to, to get on the team. This segment of the show is brought to you by Man Cave Health. It's a public charity that raises awareness nationwide for prostate cancer. Many of you know I battled prostate cancer, and it had it not been for me taking a PSA test, you know, the doctor told me I could have been dead uh, within a year. 
30,000 men die every year from prostate cancer simply because they didn't know their number. They didn't get an annual check. And also, do you know one out of every four black men are diagnosed with prostate cancer? How important is your health to you? Oh man, well, it's everything because health not only comes in physical form, but it comes in spiritual, it comes emotional, mental, like it's all health is, it's all in these dimensions. But um, look, I'll be 50, you know, April 20th. And for me, uh, I look back on my life, especially during this last year and a half of COVID, like I appreciate my mortality more than ever. Um, with seven children, you know, I remember praying literally before I retired, two things. One, can I have the flexibility and balance in my life, you know, to be present with my children and my family and my wife? And, and two, I want to physically be able to be active, right? My son, I got a nine-year-old son. I can't be telling him what to do. I got to show him, right? <laughs> so for me, you know, and what was important to me is when I had to retire it was because of my literally my physical joints and body and I couldn't play anymore. So it showed me how important, you know, especially as, a, as you know, as black men, like we don't historically go to the doctor and say, hey, I'm struggling. Right. We don't do that. We don't say, man, I'm, I'm I don't feel in a certain way mentally, emotionally. I don't you have to because for the sake of your family, I just got my first shot. And I did it because not just for me, but because it's a responsibility. You know what I mean? And so a shout out to, you know, to what you're doing in that platform. And, and um, my, my father had a battle with prostate and he's well, uh, had surgery. Um, I, you know, I, I've, I've had to make sure I'm very keen and sensitive to that as well. So, um, man, I, listen, I'm, I'm looking at legacy. The last letter in Fizzle is legacy. I don't want my legacy to be, well, I mean, I was too scared to go get checked out or I didn't do everything I could do to not be there for my, for my family. I love that because that was going to lead to my next question. Then, you know, have you gotten a PSA test and are you uh, active, you know, because your father has had it to make sure other men in your life, make yeah. sure that you and your other men get the PSA test as well. Yeah, you have to, man. Like, you know, I had a high count at one point and the last time it it dropped. So I was I was grateful for that. Um, and, you know, so like at this point, like we just got to think like whatever I need to do, like if a coach tells you, here's what I need you to do to get minutes to help us win. Are you going to do it or not? <laughs> so whatever we need to do, we just got to do it. The mission for Man Cave Health is to encourage all men to take just one hour out of the year to either get a physical and a PSA test. And with donations from people just like you, you can help other men who maybe don't have the resources to pay for a PSA test or a physical exam. All you've got to do is go to the Man Cave Health website at mancavehealth.org and sign up for their free newsletter. It is a great resource. And please make a donation because this public charity is trying to make sure that all men can get a physical and a PSA test. And all you've got to do to donate to this public charity is text the last stand 
to 44321. For people who support the podcast, we always let them submit questions. we got a number of them for you. We'll get just to a couple of them. Uh, This first question comes from Twitter. It says, Alan, which Nick teammate would you want uh, on your side in a fight? You got some great options. Man, it's only it's only one. Well, actually, no, I was more than one, but but I, I, I Oak, <laughs> we've seen that. <laughs> we've seen that. <laughs> you could have answered that one. Uh, uh, second one here comes from Facebook. It says, Alan, your greatest Nick memory. Um, game six of Eastern Conference Championship. We beat Indiana. Um, reason that was my greatest memory is because I, as soon as we won that game, I, my, my wife was pregnant with our first child. We knew, um, that we didn't know cause only God knows when she's going to be born, but we had a comfort level and a peace about going to the hospital and, and, and inducing she was ready. I was just hoping she wouldn't be born during that game, but I, I knew that I was about to have my first child and we're about to go to the NBA finals. So that Friday night, you know, of, of June 11th, uh, 1999, probably my, my most memorable Nick moment. That's hot. Uh, this one from Facebook <laughs> as well says, Alan, what's your basketball legacy? Uh, making big plays. I just want to be able to be known for making big plays when they matter the most. All right, Alan Houston, uh, time for the last segment of this show. We call it the last stand. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, brother. Just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Yeah. Most talented player from that 1993 draft. Was it Chris Weber, Penny Hardaway, Nick Van Exel, or Alan Houston? Penny. Mm. Talent. If you had, um, what's that? You said talent, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. If you had to put together the best '90s Nick squad, starting five. Oh my goodness. Who's who's your point guard? Uh, '90s man. Uh, the yeah. '90s Knicks. Um. Uh, shoot, that's a tough one. Who's a point guard? I mean, the 90s, you see, I, I, you, you, I was going to say like Rod Strickland, and Mark Jackson, but they weren't 90s. Um, you might have to help me with the 90s because the 90s, who, who was, you had Chris, you had Charlie. Charlie, Greg Anthony. Um, maybe Derek Harper. Derek Harper, okay. Who was your shooting guard? Come on, man, we got to skip the shooting guard. We know the shooting guard is. <laughs> <laughs> we we know who the shooting guard is. <laughs> who, who's playing the wing? Who's who's your three? Um, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Spree. Who's your power forward of the '90s? Um, and I mean, I might have to go with LJ. All right, and your center, big fella. There you go. I love it. I love it. Uh, best player you played with? Um, I'd say Grant. Hmm. 
best player you played against? Well, there's one that we know that always comes up, and that's MJ. But I, I'm going to say um, – I know people will say Kobe, but but I, I I think from a talent perspective, I'm gonna say Tracy McGrady. Hmm. Wow. T Mac, huh? Yeah. He gave he wow. he just from a talent perspective and just everything that came with it, he was tough. Hmm. Now, who do Nick fans? Because you have a pulse on this. Who hmm. do Nick fans love more? Spreewell, Charles Oakley. LJ or John Starks? I think John. I think John and then Spree. Okay. Yeah. Last but not least, who's got the prettier jumper? Steph Curry or Allen Houston? <laughs> <laughs> I got to go with Allen on that, man. You know, I just have to. I mean, you know, we didn't talk about accuracy. We talked about pretty beauty um yeah <laughs> usually i gotta be a humble guy but you know uh yeah i, I got a little more elevation that's all I, think I, I love it i love it <laughs> my brother man I, i've been looking forward to it for to this for a long time and i appreciate you taking so much time and joining us here on the last stand uh thanks a lot man i appreciate it it was great yeah, that's, that's what we do here on The Last Stand. We bring you some of the biggest names in the sport, like Allen Houston. Thanks for watching, folks. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>